0: in a study of Romans, and um, last week we hit Romans chapter 9. We've been going through the book of Romans and periodically taking some breaks. And so I want to hit chapter 12, just a few verses. Uh, it says, brothers and sisters, Paul writes in verse 1. He says, my heart's desire. Somebody say heart's desire. My heart's desire in prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Do I have any people in the room that are zealous for God? You are passionate about God. You love God. It says but their zeal was not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they failed to submit to the righteousness of God. But it says Christ is the end. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You can be seated. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm gonna let you in a little secret of what I really am passionate about. And, and years ago, I was introduced to Lord of the Rings. Man, I was just, woo! I was sold. Like any Lord of the Rings fans here? If you don't like Lord of the Rings, uh, there are other churches around the area that you can attend. I'm just joking. And uh, man, I was so I just loved it. I just loved it. I was I was just hooked by that the, the story in the movie. And then. Uh, Years later, they came out with a, like a, a prequel to Lord of the Rings, if you know, just a sci-fi series. And they came out, called The Hobbit. The Hobbit was one of the books that I read in uh, high school. It was one of the only books that I ever read in high school. And I just was, I was just amazed. And then years went by, six plus years of nothing of Lord of the Rings until last year, they announced that there was gonna be an Amazon Prime live action TV series that's coming in 2022. Church, can I tell you that that was some of the greatest news that I ever could have received that day? Just being honest with you. Like, I, get, I get excited about a lot of things, but I got excited about that. I was, I was just, man, there was nothing else better that I wanted to hear. And maybe you've been in moments like that where um, you, you heard the news. I know we've been receiving a lot of bad news, it seems, but maybe there were times you can go back to where there was good news. You know, the, the offer you put down was accepted. Praise God, this is the, this is the best news. Or that item that you really wanted came back in stock that you've been looking for and wanting to buy. And this is the best news. This is the greatest news. Maybe you won the, the lottery and you didn't tell anybody. But it was, it was the greatest news for you in that moment. You know, the truth is, is you know, what, what, what Paul is trying to tell the nation of Israel is, is that there is, there is good news There is the greatest news that that you can receive. But what if I told you that the news that you would receive, yes, is good, but would alter your life, would change the way you think, would change the way you live, would change the way you communicate and talk and really believe? What would you do? Would you reject it or would you accept it? So Paul here is addressing, here's the title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes, the best news ever. Come on, somebody say the best news in a time... And in a place, and even today, where there is news that is not good, there is good news. In fact, there is the best news. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you. God, and we worship you. And we are, we are burdened we are broken. And there are needs that need to be met, and we present them to you. But God, we look back to why you came here and what you came to do, and that was to save the world. We are so grateful for that. And so as we dive into your scripture, dive into your text, may it be your words, not mine. May uh, our faith be challenged and as well as encouraged. And as we read your, your story and your words and what you have called a man Paul to preach about, would it shape us and change us? We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody say it one more time. Amen, amen. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I got some good news. I got some good news. I turn to your second option, your second choice that you didn't choose first and tell them I got some news for you as well, but it's better this time. It's better this time. You know, man, we've been going through the book of Romans and, uh, it's been interesting because Paul has been talking a lot about a lot of things and he concludes in chapter eight with, you know, shouting things, um, like there's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. That's, that's, that's amazing to hear. And that, I don't know if that fires you up. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He also says things, you know, um, as he looks to his people and as he begins to write things, he says that we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And then he concludes chapter eight with saying we are more than conquerors. Come on, that's something he decided about. We are more than conquerors. But now he, he, he takes a step back and he decides to discuss the sovereignty of God in chapter 9. It's all that he was shouting, we're more than conquerors. Now I need you, I need you to, to, to step back over here and talk about um, salvation. And so he, he presents uh, uh, a different view of what the nation of Israel has always known because there's been rejection happening because there is better news taking place. And in the middle of this rejection, Paul is saying that there's a problem associated with the condition of Israel, and and, and you need to hear it. There is is the Messiah that has come, and you have seemed to reject the Messiah. This is what we talked about last week. But did God reject them? Of course God did not reject them, because there is a promise that still stands. There is a promise of righteousness that still stands. Um, But there was rejection taking place, and it wasn't by God. It was by the nation of Israel. And so now we get to chapter 10. We move from the sovereignty of God to now the responsibility of mankind, all right? We move from the sovereignty of God to the responsibility of me and you. Turn to the person and tell them, this is for you. But, but also tell yourself, this is for me as well, all right? This, this isn't for you, this is for me. So, so, so I will receive this, I will receive this news. So look, at, look with me at verse one, because he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is my heart's desire for people around me that don't know God to be saved. This is my heart's desire. So what do I do? I pray. I pray. And I wonder if many of us, this is our heart's desire, but we, we wish and we assume and we maybe expect and we, we hope. But Paul is saying, I pray. Come on, somebody say pray. Pray. This is why we do these 21 days of prayer. It's because we believe that God can answer things that we pray for. This is why in your seats, you might have sat on it, you might have squished it, there are these cards that you can write down. And I want to encourage you before the service is done, if there was anything that the whole church could be praying for, what would it be? If it's confidential, I understand. Maybe don't put your name or write confidential. But if it's something that the whole church can pray for, put it down. Because we believe in the power of prayer. And so Paul is believing in the power of prayer. He's not just saying, I hope everybody gets saved. I hope those people who have rejected God uh, step into a relationship with God. No, he says, I believe it so much that I'm gonna pray. And, and, and I challenge you, Christian or believer, how often are you uh, actually praying if you have the burden for lost people? For those that, in your life, in your community that don't know Jesus, how often are you just maybe inviting them to church? Rather, you've uh, neglected praying for them before they come to church. And I wonder if you had a burden, would you really, really pray? And maybe you're here and you're new to all this. Maybe you're watching it online and you don't know who Jesus is. I would question, what kind of friends do you have? Are they more concerned about hanging out with you and having a good time than they are about your soul? Because can I remind you, we need to have some friends in our lives that are concerned about our soul. Come on, I want some friends in my life that are concerned about my soul, not just the money I make, not just the things that I do or the things that I can give them, but I want people who could pray for me, who could encourage me, who will help lift me up. That's what I want friends like. Does anybody else want friends who are concerned about your soul? Sometimes we feel as if we're the only ones that are concerned about them. And if you're in here today and you don't have anybody, you need to find somebody who is concerned about your soul and, like Paul, is willing to say, it's my heart's desire And I'm going to pray. We can't just do and not pray, and we can't just pray and not do. Spurgeon would say it's the holy blend of prayer and labor. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites may be saved. Now, it's interesting because the Israelites are, are probably questioning Paul and saying, Paul, don't you realize that we're the chosen people of God? Do you really think that we need to be saved? In fact, we are already saved, and everybody else needs to be saved, the Israelites would say, but we are looking to be saved in one, in one aspect, in one area, and that's our politics. And so, so we do need to be saved there. And, and, and Paul is like, no, you've got this all backwards. You've, you've got this all wrong. Israel was looking for a political salvation, but Jesus was bringing a what? A spiritual salvation. And can I remind you, in this division that we face today, we got to be careful how we pray. Because perhaps the church and believers, we might be praying for a political savior. And the answer isn't found in our politics. The answer isn't found in our government. And the answer isn't going to be a bill that's passed. The answer is and will always be Jesus. Always. And so Paul is like, no, you need to be the ones to be, to be saved. Jesus is here. The Messiah is, is here. In fact, I know you know this because I can see it in you. I can see the passion that you have. He goes on and says in verse two, he says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous. Come on, somebody say zealous. Zealous. They are zealous for God, but the problem is their zeal is not based on knowledge. You know, to be zealous for God would mean to have an enthusiasm and a passionate spirit towards something. It's to say, as a believer, I'm zealous for God. I'm eager to pursue, I'm eager to embrace, and I'm eager to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's gonna be at all costs. You know, Moses said it in Deuteronomy, Jesus said it in the New Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. Come on, somebody say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've got the passion. And, and Paul even says, I see the passion. In fact, he would look to the nation of Israel and say, I'm actually impressed by the passion. And so some of us know this. We're willing to do anything. We're willing to do everything, even if that means that we're standing alone. Even if that means that we are by ourselves, knowing that my passion for Christ isn't popular. What I have to say about Christ may not be accepted, but I'm not looking for the approval of man. I'm not seeking the approval of man. I'm seeking the approval of God. Come on, somebody shout, I am zealous for God. Come on, I am zealous for God. The nation of Israel were zealous. They had the passion. They they, they got it, they understood it, they were were zealous. But but I wonder, I wonder if it's possible to have a present passion yet with an absent purpose. I wonder if it's possible for us to live a life passionate without purpose. Because I would hate to find myself passionate about something that God isn't passionate about passionate about something without any vision or direction I read a a Japanese proverb the other day and I I don't know what you think about Japanese proverbs I don't know what I think about Japanese proverbs because I read one and it said that uh, a man in love uh, confuses a pimple for a dimple and I thought that was that was hilarious I was like that's stupid (laughs) and then I was like wow that is very profound. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. A man in love confuses a pimple for a dimple. And I was like, I'm going to preach a sermon on that. Man, that is, that is, that is, wow. Japanese proverb. There's another one, though, that, that hit me. And um, it, it, was, it was about vision. And it said, uh, a vision without action is daydreaming. But action without vision is a nightmare. And I wonder how many of us, we, uh, we have the action, we have the passion, but we have no vision. And that can be, that could be reckless. That could be a nightmare. But some of us may have uh, the vision and even the direction, but we have no, we have no passion. And therefore, we remain on the sidelines. Therefore, we just remain in a chair, hoping that somebody is going to help give us, give us that purpose and it's interesting, you know, there's so many of us, we got it, we just don't know it, or we know it, and we don't, we don't have it. And I think a lot of people can be, can be uh, passionate and have a lot of zeal, but without the direction, they're dangerous. Without the vision, they're reckless. And sure, at times, church, our passion can lead us, but it'll only lead us, you know, so far, and it'll only last so long, that's why it's important that our direction is what guides our passion, yeah? It's important that our direction, our vision, our purpose is what is guiding our passion. But I also think, because I just really don't know, I'm up here being honest, I also think that God gives purpose to that which you are passionate about, yeah? God gives purpose to that which you are passionate about. I mean, you think for a moment, you know, David, when he was facing Goliath, had a passion to kill? No, he had a passion to protect, because he did it with the sheep, and he did it with the the army of God when Goliath came. He had a passion. God gave it purpose. You think Peter had a passion to build the church of God? No, he was a fisherman. He was passionate about fishing. Do I have anybody that is passionate about fishing? I mean, it, we're all about it. And that's what he was passionate about. And God said, let me just realign your passion and and let me change who you're fishing for. Peter had passion and God began to give it purpose. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Because maybe there's no purpose yet. Maybe there will never be purpose. But I would hope and pray that you would ask and seek to say, God, you've given me these passions I have a zeal for this, but God, I need, I need the purpose. What are you passionate about? Because Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, come on, somebody say, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know, growing up, my dad would say this when I was in school, Jacob, your job as a Christian is to do well in school. Can I just confess to you and confess to God? I was not a good Christian when I was in school. But man, I believe if, if, if there is a passion in us, there is purpose in us, that uh, you, you should trust and pray that God is gonna give you exactly what you need to make that successful, to make your walk successful, to do the things that where you see fruit that is uh, coming, fruit that is happening, and you are honoring the Lord. I remember growing up, I would, uh, at my in-laws, we would play this game called No Questions Asked. And the game consisted of somebody showing up to the house in the family, and would shout no questions asked and you had to leave what you were doing and you had to jump in the car and go with them wherever they were taking you it's creepy for sure but it's with family so it was okay and and, and we, we knew that it wasn't like a long period of time but it was hop in the car we're going to go get ice cream or we're going to run to the beach and jump in the water or whatever we're going to go for a job and then we're going to come right back no questions asked and and many times you know it was like it was just hard to get off the couch and 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 follow the rules of the game and, and go i didn't know what we were doing i didn't know where we were going but there were other times where i was all in let's go no questions asked what are we doing do i need my wallet do i need my phone who am i taking can i leave my kids with my aunt, my mother-in-law can i just can i can i can we go longer you know can we make this an all-day trip um i was all in but i had no idea where i was going and i think we probably fall in one of those categories at times you know i'm i'm, I'm all in i got the passion but i just have no direction but I know who I'm following. I think that's key. That's important for us. And maybe we don't have the, the passion at all, but we know who we're following, and we're just praying that God would stir something in us, and God would align us with His will, and God would lead us to where He is calling us. Because, you know, the disciples were like so confused when Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to die, and, uh, and, and you're following me, and I'll tell you, you're going to be, you know, you're going to, the same thing's going to happen to you as happening to me. And the disciples are like, What are you talking about? And so He reminds them, in, In uh, Matthew 16, 24, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Somebody say deny themselves. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He was making it clear that if you intended to follow him, you had to be led by him. Because who's in the, in the, the driver's seat? Who's got their hands on the wheel? Jesus. He's asking you, And telling you, no questions asked. Let's jump on. So I got the passion. Now I've got the purpose. Maybe I don't have both. Maybe I have a little bit of each, but I know who I'm following. I know who's leading me. And so therefore, I'm going to walk with no questions asked. Because I know Jesus is taking me to a place where he wants to take me. You see, this, this zeal, this passion must be followed with purpose. Paul is saying to the nation of Israel, to the Jews, you got the passion. You have the zeal. And I'm impressed by it. But, but you've got it all backwards because the passion is great. The zeal is great. The good works are good and the sincerity you have and the devotion you have is good. But church, can I remind you, sincerity and devotion will never save the soul. Sincerity and devotion. In fact, write it down if you can. Sincerity and devotion will never save the soul. It's not about how many good works I can do. It's not about how many religious events that I can attend because if that were the case, if I had a list of, God, here's my, here's my checklist of Sunday attendance and, and here's my, uh, my, my portfolio of my givings and offerings, um, um, I'm obedient. Here's all the commandments you've asked me to do. I'm, I've been obedient to that. If that were the case, if righteousness were inherited because of the good works that we've done and the passion that we've done, here's what would happen in verse 3. In Romans 10, he says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, they established it, and so they submitted to it. But correct me if I'm wrong, I wasn't called, you weren't called to submit to what you established. You were called to submit to what God established, amen? We were not called to submit to the things that we think are right. We were not called to submit to the things that we do. We are called to submit to the things that God does, amen? And so I have to remind myself of this. Even as, even as our, our senior pastor, my dad, and we, we lead this church, we have to say, well, God leads this church, but but he appointed me and called me, but... But, but God leaves it, you know. I'm preaching, but God is preaching. It's just, you know, you've been in this mess? Like, it's not me, but it's Him. But it's kind of me, right? It's kind of me because if I wasn't here, who would it be? So God is using men. It's just confusing. And so I remind myself that I am just the pen in the mighty hand of God. You are just the pen in the mighty hand of God. That's how I view it. He can get another pen. Heck, if I start running out of ink, which I hope I don't soon, he's going to find another pen. Or he's gonna refill me. And so don't ever think that you're not necessary or important. God is looking at you and saying, you are necessary, and you are important, and you are the pin in the story that I'm creating. You see, once we start to submit to a religion or a salvation that has been done by works, there is a righteousness that we will never obtain. But if I'm submitting to something that God is doing and God has already done. Listen, church, this is the best news. Can I go to the book of Titus? In the book of Titus chapter three, Titus is ministering to the people in Crete, and here's what he says in verse five, and I'll give you some more context in a second. Because if I'm submitting to the wrong thing, the end goal may not be heaven, all right? So we need to submit to the right thing. He says, Paul says, he saved us. Somebody say he. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus saved us. Remember, it wasn't, it wasn't Paul. It wasn't Apollos. It wasn't the, the preacher. It wasn't the speaker. I can't go back and say, um, when I was eight years old, my dad saved me. He, he led me in a prayer. He talked to me. But it was Jesus that saved. So don't ever put your faith in a person or an individual. And don't ever assume they were the one who saved you. God used them. So Paul says, he saved you. And not because of the righteous things that you had done, but because of his mercy. Man, how many are thankful for the mercy of God? He says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We're not necessarily talking about a baptism. We're talking about a, a, something, a spiritual bathing over all of your sin. It says in verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Listen, God, who is kind, God, who is loving, stepped in and saved you, and we had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. I thank God that I had nothing to do with it. My goodness, God stepped in and he saved you, and we had nothing to do with it. And this is the best news. Church, this is the best news for the nation of Israel and for you today, that it wasn't anything I had to, um, you know, climb to, is, it wasn't anything I had to create, because that's what was going on in Titus. The people in Crete were mixing the Jewish law with the gospel of grace, they were stamping it, they, they, were, they were stamping it and labeling it and licensing it, and this is what they followed. And, and there was no other, there was nothing else. And once you stop it, you, you can't receive anything else, and so there was this issue There was this abuse. There was this pride that stepped in. And this arrogance began to take place where everybody around them was a pagan and had no hope. And uh, I wonder if that's what you think about your neighborhood right now sometimes. It's like, there is no solution, Jacob. Everybody's a pagan and there is no hope. And Paul is saying, you were a pagan too. You were a sinner too. You were stubborn too. And Jesus stepped in and showed mercy. Don't forget that. You you have to remind yourself of that. And uh, what's happening in Romans chapter 10 is very similar because there's this this ignorance to, to the best news ever. There's this ignorance to having to submit to something else because they were already submitting to the things of them. But God was asking them to submit to the things of God. You see, there's a submission that takes place to God and the things of God. And it wasn't that they, they didn't know. Remember, the, the Jewish people, they knew this. They knew this very well. They, they've heard the message. They've read the message. They've memorized the message. It was that they just didn't want it because they were so satisfied with where they were. They were so content with what they knew. And that was it. There was no changing them. And because of that, they rejected the one thing that could save them. But they were, they were proud, they were proud. And they, they knew it all. And I don't know if you know anybody like that. They know it all, you can't tell them anything, you can't change their mind, and it's just like, some of you are married to that know it all, right? Some of you have some people in your family, in your job, some of, you, some of your bosses that know it all. And, and that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be, to be prideful. That's a dangerous place to be, to be closed fisted, meaning that I, I can't receive anything and nor can you take anything, you can't change my mind. And this is what Paul is dealing with, scholars of the word of God who are prideful in what they know, prideful in who they are, prideful. There's, a, there's an ignorance because they assume that they knew it all. And I'm just reminded of the passage in Proverbs, and I love the book of Proverbs. See, these aren't Japanese Proverbs, all right? These are, these are the word of God Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 12. It says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Man, that just, that just, doesn't that that get anybody right here? Oof! can I just, can I just sidebar this for a second? Um, Let other people brag about you. Yeah, come on. Let other people boast about you. And don't tell them to do that. Just let them them do that. I just have a hard time sometimes, unless you're writing a resume, all right? It's important that you boast about yourself if you're writing a resume. Um, Because could you imagine if you were like in your resume accomplishments, uh, done some things, you know? uh, skill sets. I'm okay. You know, where do you want to be? Well, I don't really know. And I don't know where I want to be and I'm not where I want to be, but I ain't where I used to be, you know, like, uh, I might be a good fit. You know, you're just trying to remain, unless God was divinely telling that person, reading that resume, that there was humility uh, that. You might not get that job. All right. So make sure you boast about your accomplishments and what you can do in your resume and make sure you can back it up. Uh, make sure you can back it up. But I just think it's so, it's so important for us as Christians to honor people and to boast about their accomplishments. But just let people do that for you. You know, I've been having this conversation uh, with, with my dad. And, and, and Dad, I want to honor you just for a moment. You know, you're much older. I don't say old, right? You're much, you're, you're older and uh, wise and um, knows a lot. He's been, you've been doing this for quite some time. Knows the scripture. He's got convictions. He, he, he's got firm things that he stands on. And we were having a conversation the other day that oh, um, he, he was more set. In his ways, and I'm I'm setting in my ways, so I'm asking questions, and uh, he was pretty convicted by this, or had, had strong convictions of this, and was trying to help me, but I never forget what you said. You were like, I'm gonna still learn, I'm gonna still read some articles, I'm gonna still search, and at the, and at that age, to know what he knows, to say, you know what, um, maybe I don't know at all. That's that's the best place to be, right? Maybe I don't. I'm a parent of two kids. And I do not know it all. And I know my wife is watching it online. I think she knows it all. But uh, I know she knows it all. But I do not know it all. And that is such a good place to be because that is a place on your knees saying, God, I just need you to intervene. And I don't know it all. And so I honor you, Dad, and I know the humility in you. And, and let people boast about you. Let people brag about you. It, it feels good sometimes. Sometimes, right? When they do that, I know it's not where we want to stay. But man, pride is an issue with many. Pride was an issue for the Jewish leaders, the, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish nation. Even in, even in this, this, this concept, it was, it was a struggle for them because they knew what they knew. And in three chapters later in Proverbs, it says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will attain honor. And I love that. That is so good. That is so good. And there's an issue going on with the nation of Israel because they have a lot of information. They have a lot of information, but there has yet to be any submission. Man, there's a lot of information, but the information to them was, it trumped the submission. You see, and the value that you place on the information has devalued the submission that you're supposed to be in. I, I know it all. I don't need to submit. Man, I know it. I know it. I got it. You put so much value on the information, you have devalued the submission. There's value in obtaining, but where is the value in submitting that has got to happen, church, that has got to take place, that, is, that shows humility, that shows teachability, that throws out all the pride and says, "I need, God, I need to submit to you. Man, that is tough. That's tough for us. But we can't rely on only the information and the experience we know. We have to rely on the submission that we are in every single day of our lives, church. That's where I want to be. Does anybody else want to be there? Every single day, submission to God. That, that's how I want to live, and it's, it's not easy. But, but having news that is going to change everything that you've always known, having news that is going to trump the information you know, this is, this, is what, this is what Paul says because the submission was happening, but it was, it was happening to the law. And so Paul goes on and says in verse 4, I know we're taking our time through this, but verse 4, he says, Christ, come on, somebody say Christ, Christ is the culmination of the law. He he is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everybody who believes. He, he He is the culmination of the law. What you've been following, nation of Israel, is good. It was and it still is good, but it was never meant to be the destination, it was never meant to be the end all. In fact, the law was the one thing that is supposed to point you and lead you to the one person that can bring you righteousness and save you. you, you you've forgotten that. You've, you've been misguided by that. You didn't realize that. You've been so submitted to this, you forgot to submit to the one thing that came. That was supposed to change everything. Everything about the Jewish religion was pointing to the Messiah, but, but they, they, they saw him and then they rejected him. This is, this, is, this is hard for them to hear. This is hard for them to, to see. Christ is the culmination of the law. He is the end of the law. The, the reign of the law, church, has ended. Amen? And he says this in Romans 6. So don't think I'm just making this up. Romans 6, 14. We read this months ago. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Do I have anybody that is thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ getting something that we don't deserve? Man, hallelujah. Oh, my goodness, I am so thankful for the grace of God. All of that has been preparing the nation of Israel to step into a relationship with Christ. All of it. Everything that was mentioned, everything that's been said, every command has been pointing to the one thing that they are now rejecting because they just stopped with this. This is is, is my law. This is my commandments. I don't need to submit to anything else. This is what I've submitted to. And God's like, have you even read this? This is what Paul's saying. You're submitted to this, but you don't even know this. And so what does he do in verse 5? He quotes the Old Testament. He looks at the Jewish readers and the leaders and, the, and, and the, the Pharisees, and he says, you know this so well, let me prove to you that you don't really know what you know. And don't you love when somebody says that? Let me show you that you have no idea what you think you're doing. Man, I don't know about you, but I might not receive that very well. But Paul is a b- blunt man, and here he goes, and he says this in verse 5. He says, for Moses writes, he quotes what they know by heart. He says, but Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to what? Somebody say All. To all of its commands, all the 600 or 613 precepts that are all summed up in the Ten Commandments. That is that is where you can receive. What he's saying is the law is making a person right. You can you could receive righteousness by obeying all of these commands. But unfortunately, that was impossible. That could not happen. And so he says, but faith, somebody say faith. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is on your heart. Come on, it is on your lips and it is on your heart. And that message is the very message that we preach today. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. And I, I just go back to the story in John chapter 3 with Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a, 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 a Jewish leader in the, in the council, he knows all of this. And, and here he is, broken by what he's experiencing and what he's hearing of healings and miracles. And Nicodemus approaches Jesus late at night because he does not want to be seen. And, and he's questioning what he's always known, what he's always stood by, what he's preached, and he's questioning to Jesus. He says, What, what are you doing? And, and what do I need to do? What am I missing? And Jesus says, You gotta be born again. And he's like, What do you mean born again? He's like, You gotta be born of water and born of spirit. Well, what do you mean by that? And again, he's, he's asking questions, which, church, we should never stop doing. Asking questions. If you think you know it all? You don't. Ask questions. And he's asking these questions, well, what do you mean, Jesus? And here's where Jesus pulls probably the most famous passage in scripture, one that you've heard, one that you've memorized, one that you may have tatted on your body, John 3, 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on in verse 17, which is the passage that we always forget to say, which is just as important is that for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through Jesus. Nicodemus, this is, this is the news that's gonna change everything. The question is, are you gonna receive it, Nicodemus? Will, will you receive it? You've been in the faith for quite some time, but it's never been real to you. You haven't submitted to this. Will, are you willing to submit Jesus says it's, it's, so, it's so simple, Nicodemus. You see, the law of Moses that you knew, the law of Moses that's here, th- this law, if you live by it and do it completely and perfectly, you assume you'll, you'll receive righteousness by the law, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to take place. Because righteousness by faith comes from when you stop working, when you stop doing that's where Jesus is now stepping in and saying, well, what are you going to do? Are you gonna, this is what he quotes in verse 6. He says, are you going to ascend to heaven to bring Jesus down? Are you going to um, descend to the abyss to bring him back? That's foolish. Come on, somebody say that's foolish. That's foolish talk. You can't do it. All you need to do, Nicodemus. And I want you to write this down. It's very simple. is believe and receive. That's it. Believe and receive. Come on, somebody say it with me. Believe and receive. That's that's the the best news that Paul is delivering to the nation of Israel. You don't need to climb any mountain. You don't need to go to any great lengths to achieve righteousness by the law. You can achieve it immediately by faith, by believing. Amen? Every religion would say, climb. Climb your way to the top. And Jesus says, I'll climb my way to the bottom. I'll climb my way to the bottom. Because that's how much I love you and that's how much I care for you. And some of you, that's where you found God. At the very bottom. That's where he showed up, intervened in your life, and changed everything about you. There at the bottom. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And maybe some of us like me, that we weren't at the very bottom. We received him at a young age, and I'm so thankful. Man, I used to hate that I didn't have this crazy story to tell. Man, I did this. I was in prison. Man, I was in, it, was, it was only sixth grade. It was crazy. I, I used to want that. I used to crave that. And now I'm so thankful that that is not me. But I am thankful that God uses people like that to minister to people who need that. And so I thank God that it was believing and receiving and immediately by faith receiving righteousness. Jesus says, I climbed down to you. He even says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, while, while you were not even sinning yet, while you are still sinning now and while you will continue to sin then, God is saying, I died for you and I love you and I have a perfect plan for you, amen? And here's, Here's the best news ever. That, that, this is what Paul is delivering, and, and here's, here's the, um, the what now. And so this would be the, the plan of salvation. Maybe, uh, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you're new to this, and, and you've heard salvation, and you're, you're wondering, how do I receive it, or how do I even um, explain it? Here's how you would explain it. Because I, I had a friend ask me uh, yesterday, you know, I've got a roommate, and how do I share my faith with them? Well, here's how you would share it, and, I, and I'll kind of wrap this up. Uh, with this plan of salvation that Paul is uh, going into in chapter 10, verses 10 to 13. But it's real simple. In uh, youth, we, we call it the Roman's road. You ever heard of the Roman's road? The Roman's road, this is, this is maybe church talk. Let me explain it to you. There's a few verses in Romans that explain the plan of salvation, what God did, and why you needed him, which is, which is really step one. right? If you're to, to beat any addiction, overcome any any habit you first have to recognize that you have it right and uh that's that's starting place one and it starts in romans 3 23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god you and me because we have sinned romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus so so we have sinned and then there is there is a consequence right when i got when i got pulled over which i told my wife the other day she had no idea about I got pulled over for speeding. Um, I received a ticket, and she she had no idea. Praise God! Now she knows. Uh, so, um, so 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 I, I I was I was punished because I was wrong, and there was a punishment. But Romans five eight, which I just read for you, but God demonstrated His love that while we were still sinners, He died for us. So now He's bringing hope. So what's our response? What do we do? And this is what we just read in Romans. 10 9 and 10 this would be the the fourth passage of that row there's five this would be the fourth passage romans 10 9 and 10 that if we confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we will be what saved and then it concludes with like it just it just wraps it up here in verse 10 i'll I'll read it for you and and, in romans chapter 10 it it's unreal and this might look a little bit different on my bible because the translation has been updated But it says in verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anybody who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Amen. There is no difference. There was a a lot of difference then and there. Paul actually in Romans 3 talks about the condemnation. There is now no difference in condemnation for the Jew or for the Gentile. This is what they thought was, was actually taking place. Paul is reminding them there is now no condemnation. Uh, so, so now he goes to, in, uh, in, verse, in verse 11, or verse 12, he says, there's no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him as, as the, the nation of, of Israel here in this moment. They're thinking, this isn't true for the Gentiles. Paul is like, no, it's true for the Gentiles. And it's even more true for you. Because you need this just as much as they need this. And he concludes in verse 13. For everybody, come on, somebody say everybody. For everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Paul is bringing uh, the the Jews and the Gentiles together, he's now saying God is Lord of all in the the condemnation. And now in in chapter 10, in the salvation. He's Lord of all. You get to experience that, and they get to experience that. You sitting here get to experience that, have experienced that, and the people around you at home that don't know this, they get to experience that as well. There's no pride or arrogance in our faith where we would say, those stubborn pagan neighbors, there's no hope for them. I think Jesus would say, there was no hope for you. Some of you, there was, it looked like there was no hope for you. And God radically showed up and he offered his mercy and his grace for everybody. God is a God of all, amen? God is a God of all. And uh, it's interesting how we read in chapter nine, the, you know, as we, if, you didn't, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it, but you read chapter nine and you talk about the sovereignty of God and you would come to the conclusion that salvation is, is God's doing alone. And now we read chapter 10. And we talk about mankind's responsibility. And maybe we come to the conclusion that, well, salvation is man's doing alone. One, I know it's not that. But two, uh, I've concluded that um, Scripture seems to teach us both. And um, how do they work together? I don't know. Only God knows. Only he knows. But I'd look at it this way, that God is preparing a table for everybody and he, he, he opens a chair for anybody to sit on it. And uh, he's prepared the table for you. And, and you remember that moment when you stepped into it and you sat on it. And he's preparing a table and a chair for everybody else. And the question is whether or not you're gonna sit in it. You see, there's, there's, God isn't dragging us to sit there. And God isn't pushing us away not to sit there. But God is preparing a table and there is a chair. And he's knocking at your heart, knocking at the heart. And I know we read things like Pharaoh, and we talked about it last week. My dad did a great job on the hardening of, of hearts. That was an eye-opening for me. Does God harden people's hearts, or do we harden people's hearts? Well, it's both. But the truth is, I, I just don't know, and that's a good place to be. That's a good place to, to fall to our knees and say, God, would you give us a burden for the, the lostness of our city as my, my old pastor used to say all the time in Boca Raton give me a burden for the lostness of this city in plantation even God you already may know who's going to sit there um, I'm not going to I'm not going to not do anything Paul says it's my heart's desire the nation of Israel the chosen people of God who have been doing this for so long it's my desire that they be saved and I'm going to preach it to them he could have left it to somebody else He was a traitor to the nation of Israel. They didn't like him. And here he is saying, no, you need this. This is the greatest news for you. This is the best news for you. You need to be saved. God is preparing the table. God has the seat, and he's asking you, will you be willing to sit in it? You know, there's there's so much to chapter 10 that we couldn't get into, and we were talking about it, my dad and I, and I was just like, there's so much, because that's just just the, the what now but there's a how. How do we do it now? What's the answer? Because Israel has rejected God, and is there a remedy? Is there a solution? The answer is yes, there is a solution. There is a remedy, and the answer is found in the next four verses in chapter 10, and it's called the church. It's called the church of Jesus Christ, and so how? We're going to talk about that next week, but would you stand to your feet? Father God, we come before you today, and We are so honored to be in your presence, honored to be in this place. God, I know many of us have burdens for many things and we are passionate about many things. But Jesus, I would pray a few things here in this moment that what we are passionate about, God, would it have purpose? What we are zealous about, God, would it be intentional? Would it make not just an immediate impact, but would it make an eternal impact? And God, if our passion is not being aligned with our purpose, God, would you fix something in here? Would you fix something in here? If we are passionate, God, and without purpose, God, would you give us that purpose? In fact, all across this room, if that's you, you're saying, God, I need purpose. I have passion, but I need purpose. Would you, just, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? Nobody looking around? I have the passion, but I need the purpose. Or maybe you're in here and you know the purpose, but you have zero passion. God, would you give me the passion? Come on, would you ask Him that? God, would you give me the passion? And would you give me the purpose so that I can honor you in everything, as Colossians says, in all my work, everything I put my hands to, my feet to, I I would honor you and do it to the best of my ability, God. Would you align the passion I have with the purpose you have for me, Jesus? And I pray for everybody in this room that we would have a burden for the lostness of our city that we would have a burden for for the lost people around in your life, those who don't know Jesus, those who are far from Jesus. God, give me a burden for them. God, give me a passion for them. God, let me know how to speak to them. God, if it's inviting in the church, then give me that courage to do so. If it's asking them questions, give me the courage to do so. If it's taking my Bible, knocking on their door, and showing up in their living room and teaching them about Jesus, give me that courage to do so, because I don't have it, God. I don't have it, but give me the courage to pray. To fall on my knees and pray for my family members that don't know you. Pray for my family members that are far from you. Pray for my best friends that I've been hanging out with for so long that I've failed to share anything with God. Give me a burden. Jesus, give me a burden. Let it be, as Paul said, my heart's desire. My heart's desire. Come on, ask him, church. Lord, let it be my heart's desire. God, make it my heart's desire that I would be there for people who need to be saved, who need to step into a relationship with Jesus. God, align my purpose and my passion, Jesus. If you're in this room today and your head's bowed and your eyes closed and you're watching it online and maybe for the very first time you're hearing this message and you're saying, you know what, I, I have not, one, had a burden for anybody around me. I've been very selfish for most of my life And I know that there is a, and I sense there is a tug in my heart and my spirit, and I need to step into this relationship with Jesus. You never know when your tomorrow will no longer be here. You just never know. And one day we will be faced before a God who is going to judge us. And he is either going to say, well done my good and faithful servant, or he is going to say that you never knew me. And at church, I I wanna make sure you know, that you know, if you die today, tomorrow, where you would be going. And so if that's you and you don't know, I'm not asking you to pray this prayer again. I'm not asking you to step into this again if you did it before. I'm just saying for the first time that you know that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Would you repeat this prayer? I wanna remind you, it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's this moment now that you are recognizing that you are in need of a savior. Come on church, would you all repeat this after me? Say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. I have rejected you, but today, come on, but today I receive you. I believe and receive. Come on, I believe and receive. Today, God, I am your child and you are my father. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we put our hands together for those that made that decision? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast.